Hello, and uh, once again, welcome to another episode of Football Unfocused, um, a rambling, ramshackled attempt to talk about football hosted by two old friends, Mark and Matthew. My name is Mark. My comrade and co-host is Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hello, hello. Um, yeah, we're not joined today by your... I can't remember how you described her. I just called her Kelly. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, Kelly. But the Kelly's person, not here. Couldn't co- persuade us co- to do it again, mate. I know. The person who helped co-bring your lodger into life, or I can't remember exactly how you described it. No, to... no. Yeah, it, it was someone who... who it's a very a, romantic way of... It was a, who it. had a fundamental, pivotal role in bringing um, our lodger into the uh, the home <laughs> environment. Um, yeah, yeah. No, couldn't persuade her to do it this week. I thought she made a, a, a an excellent um, contribution to uh, the football focused um, discourse, but unfortunately, uh, she her enthusiasm for sitting around uh, during the day and chatting utter shit, uh, sort of poorly researched, uh, random thoughts about football. It's not maybe as 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 strong as mine. So she'll. I'm I'm very much hoping. I will commit to our our audience. You know, don't don't unsubscribe now. She will be back, whether she likes it or not. Uh, no, that, she will like it. That is she sinister. Like She'll it. love it. She'll love it. That's what whether she likes it or loves it. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's getting a bit Donald Trump. This isn't it. Uh, but um, but yeah, she. But I couldn't persuade her today. Um, she, in fact, funny enough, she's actually. At the moment, um, spending a bit of quality time with the the lodger, who's um, full of beans. He really is full of full of beans. Very having a very energetic afternoon, uh, oh, wow. which is which is great. <laughs> uh, so, Matthew, um, as I always explain um, <laughs> on every edition, um, this podcast is hosted by two people who've known each other many many years. One of whom, me, is quite into football and the other one uh matt is shall we say a bit less interested to the point when just before we started recording i said to him watched any football in the last week no uh and i he said it's all on sky and bt i said uh, there's this program called match of the day didn't see that either past his bedtime. so because <laughs> of that no exactly yeah yeah um because of that i like to um give our audience the gift of um looking under the magician's cloak and revealing <laughs> a bit more of Matthew's uh, flesh. Um, and I do so by asking insightful questions that get to the heart of what he is and why he is and what makes him tick. What makes him such a valuable contributor to the, the human race? Matthew, Hopefully question one no is... Existential questions that you had for the last couple you of weeks. You struggled with the existential, didn't you? I do. I do. <laughs> Well, yeah. hopefully I'm not the only one who does, but yeah, I do. Well, I mean, I you could just... The great thing about an existential question is you can, I mean, just, just fucking riff it. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> literally say anything. There's no right or wrong, <laughs> is there? And I'm not asking you if you're like, you know, your your favourite fruit, which is a question I'm sure I've asked. I'll, I'll struggle <laughs> but At some well. point, there, there's going to be repetition with the questions because I've never <laughs> yeah. logged them and I'm never going to go back and listen to them all. And, you know, so, I mean, I I've probably asked... you them down in your book. I I do, but as if the for a start, I only started making notes in the book. Just looking here, midway through last year, I've been asking questions way longer than that. Uh, uh, so and and sometimes they've not been. I mean, I've 
you know, we've started recording this number of occasions where I've I've got nothing prepared and I'm just looking around the room and just thinking, oh, there's, a, there's a plant there. I'll ask him a question about plants. Matthew, this is not existential, but I suppose it is it is a bit more um sort of theoretical. Mm-hmm. Uh uh conceptual. Matthew, what skill would you most like to master? Um I tried to I I, I tried to do some coding. I tried mm. I started an apprenticeship at work uh doing data analysis and I dropped out after about four months because I couldn't work out how to do Python coding, which is a type of code. Um right. it was so complicated and convoluted. And I'm uh, assuming that if that was quite early on in the in the course that that's relatively basic sort of entry yeah, level stuff. Yeah, yeah. What made exactly. it so what what's it, what made oh, it so impossible then? Just I, I could I it was just hard. Like everything I wrote down didn't work kind of thing. It didn't the answer didn't come out the way it should have. But then I kind of found out that uh chat GTP or whatever it's called, the AI can kind of write write code for you now. So I need to work out something else so I need to get good at before right. AI takes over. So you'd like to be good at coding, but now you don't think there's any point in being good at coding. No. Chat GBT or whatever will 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 do it for you anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that is quite a terrifying piece of software, isn't it? That AI shit. Like you can just write stuff that, yeah, in all probability is going to be pretty similar to what you know. It can it can ape you basically, can't it? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. No, I use it quite a bit. Um, do it's you? quite. Yeah, it's quite. It's like really send hard. emails and stuff. <laughs> send emails to my boss. Tell him. Yeah, tell this him is the, the sort of shit Matthew presents. would write. <laughs> send. Send. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I'm going to need really an extension. Clever. You know, <laughs> sorry, this isn't <laughs> yeah, done in yeah. time. Yeah, write write a convincing email about why I need an extension. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Copy I'm going to have to leave early today. May or may not be because I'm recording a loosely football based podcast during the working day. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Right, okay, that was that was a fascinating. So, there's nothing else you'd like to be good at, you know, baking, uh, you know, uh sport, water like rafting. To, I like to have been good at really. I like to have had been good at sport. I mean, my best days of sport are probably well behind me. But aren't you like an exceptional rower? No, <laughs> no, uh, but I. No, but, but to even most if I people, was, you're a very, I, very I good o- rower. I was okay, but but yeah, those days long, long gone. You're decent on a bike. You were brought yeah, up by okay. a swimming coach, so you must be a good swimmer. But I'd like to have like, yeah, maybe a sport a that would have, maybe and and generated a bit of an, a revenue, a proper revenue right. income. It's not all about money, Matthew. Nice. What about the joy of an of just accomplishing something? You know, I know. everything's about, about money with you, isn't it? You're such a you really are capitalist to your core, aren't you? Uh, so we live in a material world and I'm a material girl. Or boy. You certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've certainly got your price, haven't you? Matthew, <laughs> what fictional character do you most relate to? Mm, uh... This is fascinating because I've never met anyone like you in, re- in reality or fiction, so I'd love to know who you relate to. <laughs> Oh, I guess my first response was going to be, who was that guy? Tom Hanks played the character in a film. Forrest Gump. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a better answer. Surely, surely, Forrest Gump. Uh, yeah. I see a uh, lot yeah. of Gump in you. Do you, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll say Forrest Gump then. Forrest Gump. No, no, go on. I want you to answer that question. I am fascinated to know who you're going to come up with now. There's someone that Tom Hanks has played who you relate to. And it was, and it was, no, I don't relate to it. I was just thinking, oh, that would have been an interesting person to have been like. Uh, but no, it was no, a person. No, that's not what I asked it was, you. It was I based said, on the book. Which fictional character do you oh, most relate I to? I think, oh, uh, maybe like, uh homer or bart simpson or something like that <laughs> <laughs> wow homer yeah. or bart the thing is just they're from the same family but they're very different aren't they so like one's like famously a bit feckless and slovenly and the other one's like yeah. an energetic kind of kid yeah. with a bit of mouth on him so like they're really different yeah so and, a little well, bit both, how can you be similar maybe. to them both well, I do. I called my dad by his first name, so I, that that relates to Bart. He did right. call Homer by his dad by Homer, and Homer just because I think he's he's just he's got he's a bit more relaxed about life. I feel he's got mm. a bit, yeah a bit more laid back and yeah yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, finally, Matthew, I was actually I was. I was going to. I will ask this. I think I've asked you a question similar to this before, but I'm just. It's always, a peach. It's a oh, peach. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always just fascinated <laughs> as to what you, what, you, what you've been looking at. So, what was the last film you watched, Matthew? Uh, it was. Oh, shit! I can't. It was. Um, it was this film, and it was. It was. It, I was looking at the top hundred timeout films ever. Like yeah. ever, uh, um, so I think I can't remember exactly what was number one, but basically, I was trying to find the film that was on. Well, you can have a pretty good free. guess, it's usually there's normally about like six or seven films that are always, yeah, know, so it, it was like Godfather, the, Citizen the, Kane, yeah, Bicycle Thief, and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but th- none of those were Kingpin, <laughs> yeah, 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 of course, Forrest Gump, um, mm-hmm. dude, where's my but... car, <laughs> yeah. But there was one, it was like a Spanish film. So I was trying to find one that I could get for free on Prime or Netflix. Or something. Mm-hmm. And it was this Spanish film about, um, I think it was like Women on the Verge of Madness or something like that. And it was... Well, that, that's it, what the film was called. Yeah, but in right. Spanish it was called. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I guess that. <laughs> and it was... Uh, maybe our, maybe our uh, Spanish uh, listening community, of which, yeah. know, which is a vibrant community, could tweet us. At F Unfocused, that's at F Unfocused. Please, please do follow us. We've got, <laughs> yeah. we've got 10, 10 followers. Um, and let us know what that film is. Yeah, in Spanish. Um, I mean, I'm no culture vulture, Matt. Uh, I'm, I'm really not. And I, I, don't, I certainly don't want to be um, uh, attempting to, to portray myself as one. But I've seen, a, I've seen a decent amount of Spanish language films. I've never heard of that one. No. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I really am intrigued. Ever. Yeah, but what, what was, number um, was it? It was 99. about 50 or something. All oh, right. Yeah. So, it was, yeah. But it, we got about 20, 30 minutes into it, and Joe and I decided we, we it was it was quite a sort of a, a misogynist take on women 
it, it kind of gave any excuse to have a, a shot up a woman's skirt if 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 the scene uh warranted one and was this uh, a pornographic film that you were watching no right? no and and it was yeah and it was uh the men kind of going around philandering with other women and the and the women just going stir crazy as a result when was this it film was, made in the 70s 80s oh. 1780s yeah yeah, yeah yeah so the thing is though that i, I do believe that uh those types of films are important to watch because just like anything you you don't have to you don't have to watch something like that and find it kind of offensive in terms of how society is now you watch it as a as a moment in time don't you as a capsule of right okay these were you know because books and films and music and all sorts are full of some quite obnoxious stuff which is rightly kind of rejected now, but it doesn't mean it should be kind of scrubbed from history. You watch it and you just be intelligent enough to recognise that this is maybe how, this is the, that's the type of language people use then. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's it. watching it makes you realise even more that why it's unacceptable. Yeah, no, that's it. We weren't calling for it to be banned or anything afterwards. You just but, didn't yeah. like it. <laughs> just didn't like it wasn't our thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's your answer. The wokeness in me. When was the last time we went to the cinema? Well, before Kaido. So we had Kaido for six months now because I had the six-month survey from Dog Trust. Mm. So we went to see uh, the the film about the Smurfs, Avatar. and yeah. um, Was and that Joe shit thought, as I heard it was? Um, well, Joe was thought we were going to the sequel and then it turned out we were actually watching the same film. That we'd seen the first time. You went to see uh, the Avatar: Way of Water, but you actually ended up seeing no, no. In the first Avatar well, film, which yeah, was being yeah. rerun. Yeah, incredible, yeah. incredible. <laughs> I said to Chelsea, "I think we've seen this." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Matt, 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 bloody hell! So, okay, thank you, Matthew. That concludes uh, this week's questions. So, right. in terms of football, uh, it's been another very, very interesting week in this. Uh, most captivating of seasons. Most of the action Premier League-wise does kind of seem to be down that bottom bit because the only team really going on at the top, on the basis that I believe Manchester City will probably win all their matches, uh, the title race is probably done. Arsenal, fair play to them since losing to uh, Man City. A lot of a lot of teams would have completely kind of gone to pieces then the heads would have gone but they have responded really well and they were really good they won at Newcastle last weekend which in terms of when you look at their fixtures so that's definitely the the most difficult game they've got left and they've gone and um, won that so you know Arsenal should probably win all their games the rest of the season as well but it's probably not going to be quite enough but as we've said before I don't want to cover old ground again but that you know it's still a brilliant season and a remarkable improvement kind of year on year, and they've got every reason to be optimistic moving forward. And you never know, uh, Man City might slip up somewhere, but it's it's highly unlikely. But all the, all the action's really down the bottom. And in fact, it w- I suppose if Man City are going to slip up, their next match is uh, against the mighty Everton, who out of nowhere just went and scored five goals away at Brighton <laughs> on, uh, on Monday. And this is why I've never predicted Everton to go down, despite the fact that as a Liverpool fan, I would find it quite amusing. Well, I'd obviously miss the the derby, um, but you know, I can live with that for a season or two. Um, 
But you just always suspect with it's it's a bit in the same way, clearly different ends of the scale, but in the same way that like Real Madrid, no matter what season what type of season they're having and kind of no matter what state they're in as a club in terms of their domestic form, they could have changed managers, they could have star players out of form, injuries, you know, real almost like turmoil in terms of their performance in Spain. But as soon as it comes to a Champions League game, it's almost like so ingrained in the DNA of the club that the players, even though they have no, they can often have no connection to the great teams, the high achieving teams that have sort of come before them. It's almost like the the confidence and the almost the 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 ingrained like right to win just just sort of appears and just takes over the team and they just produce things that are way by you know um compared to their domestic form in that any given season it just seems like way beyond their capability and they just produce absolute magic and as a result of won the Champions League what 14 times She's like double what any other team have won. They've got an outrageous record. Now, I'm not comparing Real Madrid to Everton, but what I am saying is when you've got a team, when you've got a team that have been in the top division longer than anyone else, or equally as long as anyone else, we're talking like what 60, 70 years since Everton were out of the top flight. And even then it was only a couple of seasons. So almost the entirety of their sort of 130 odd years uh, history, they've they've been a top flight team. The ability to survive, I, d- I don't know. It's why I just—it's why I can never, no matter how bad they look, I can never really back them to go down because it just comes—it just comes from somewhere. They just pull a result out. They've barely scored a goal in like the last few months. They cannot score for shit. That's their biggest problem, and they then turn up at one of the most difficult away grounds to play uh, in the country against a team that have possibly been the story of the season in terms of, you know, achievement above expectation. Brighton have been unbelievable. And not just in terms of their results, but the way that they play, like amazing, positive, attacking, um, intense football, and really blow teams away. And a few days before, they'd uh, partially avenged their FA Cup semi-final defeat by beating uh, Manchester United with a 1-0 99th-minute penalty goal. So they've had this incredible season. So they've done. They've beaten them home and away, and they they they, they muddled us. I think they got a three all draw at Anfield, and then spanked us three nil at um, at their place. So to go to Brighton, and we thought, and yes, you could say that you know maybe Brighton they put a lot physically and emotionally into their their late win on the Thursday before, but they didn't then have to play on the Saturday or Sunday. They waited until the Monday, so they had plenty of time to kind of get that out of the system and that you think that that um confidence would be high. But Evan just absolutely blew them away. And Everton were brilliant. Like they we weren't there was no fluke. They were absolutely brilliant. They stifled everything that Brighton did and uh just kept hitting them with these really um high quality and uh and effective counterattacks. And you just think it must be so frustrating. I mean I know a few Everton fans and you know clearly I mean as ever, they, they were sort of playing it down, saying, oh, we're definitely going down this season. This is where we're being found out. And I always say, now you something will come out of nowhere. And and that's exactly what I'm talking about. So, like, they go, they were on 28 points before the weekend. You kind of looked at their fixtures and thought, even if you win a couple of them, 
firstly, I don't know how you're going to do it. And secondly, the teams around you are probably going to keep pace with that and you're already behind them. But just by winning that match and winning by as many as they did, you just think, well, yeah, Ever, of course Everton are going to survive again. And they've, you know, in just in the Premier League era alone, they've had, I think they, in the 90s, they had two last day of the season escapes. Um, and obviously last season, they looked like they were completely dead and buried. And then uh, the managerial genius genius of uh, Tory Frank Lampard uh, <laughs> went there. And genuinely, probably the best thing he's done in his managerial career so far is the way he turned around Everton last year. But this was, this season was that same pretty mediocre Everton team, minus their best player, Richarlison. A great man who has a tattoo of himself on himself. Uh, <laughs> as all modest, humble, lovely guys do, they all have tattoos of themselves on themselves. I'm <laughs> sure you know. Do you know any nice guys, Matt, who don't have tattoos of themselves on themselves? <laughs> uh, no. But no, because yeah. there aren't any, are there? All nice guys do. I know that I'm a wanker because I don't have a tattoo of myself on myself. Because all all lovely, sort of humble, popular guys have have tattoos. I'm just of trying their to faces. think. Is, that, is anyone else? Do I? Do I, I was just trying to think of somebody else that has a tattoo of themselves on them. No, you obviously you obviously just hang around with with assholes, as do I. But yeah, uh, yeah, all, yeah. apparently, all the good guys have tattoos of themselves on themselves. But they really <laughs> missed him this season because he was their, you know, he was their best, most creative player. Uh, with a possible exception of Calvert-Lewin, who's like always injured. But he seems to have sort of come back at the right time. So I do, even though Everton have got like, it's still got pretty tricky fixtures. I just think they're, they're, they're probably only going to need maybe four points from three games. So I just, I think, I just think they'll do it because a club like that in the same way, like I say, different ends of the scale, but in the same way that Real Madrid just find a way at the, at the very highest end of football, Everton just... I don't know. There's just something there. They've got the like the muscle memory as a club of just about surviving. And even though at, you know they are in dire straits in terms of their uh, financial situation and loads of other stuff that is absolutely chaotic at the club. Jamie Carragher has repeatedly called them on on Sky Sports this season at the worst run club in the country, and I think there's strong argument that they are. But that win has changed things. However, they are playing Manchester City this weekend. And on the assumption that they don't manage to um, halt the unstoppable uh, train that is uh, Manchester City's form at the moment, then, you know, I suppose they are then relatively likely to end up back in the bottom three before the end of the weekend. And, um, you know, but I think their last two games are Wolves away and Bournemouth at home. I just think they're going to do enough. But... um, Leicester, I I said I think I said last week, I think Nottingham Forest and Leeds are going to go down with Southampton, who are obviously fucked. Um, but Leicester, that it's almost like they're they're determined to, to be relegated. I think if you're if you're in a relegation battle, right, and you are especially if you're uh, a club that um or a squad of players that would not have expected to be anywhere near the relegation zone. Um, at the beginning of the season and you look around and the guy sitting next to you in the changing room has, has, was there when they won the league, you know, miraculously and so impressively seven years ago or a couple of years ago when they won the FA Cup or has been a fundamental part of the side that have consistently pushed for top floor. I mean, in two consecutive seasons, 
um, you know, recently, I think not 2020 and 2021, they were in the top four pretty much the whole season and then finished fifth on the last day. So they've been a, an overachieving, really impressively run club for a number of years and they have just tanked this season. And I think there are some historic parallels of sort of clubs and squads of players who begin a season really badly because they had the most diabolical start who begin the season that badly and then you kind of there's this assumption that oh they'll get out of it once they kick in. I remember the first ever Premier League season, ninety two, ninety three, with Nottingham Forest, you know, Forest who throughout the entirety of Brian Clough's um time at the club had been initially, you know, league and European champions. And then even once those trophies stopped being won during the nineteen eighties, they were they were a regular uh, they won a couple of League Cups, lost the 91 FA Cup final to Tottenham. They were always in the top four or five um, in the league. And then just, you know, so then when they start really hitting the skids in that first Premier League season and they still had Brian Clough there, even though he was in a sort of ravaged, highly compromised state with his, you know, alcohol dependency, it you know, and he was clearly not at his best and approaching retirement, um, etc., um, you still kind of thought all the way through that, well, you know, this is side they've got like Nigel Clough and Teddy Sheringham and Des Walker and all these players playing for them. Uh, well, Des Walker might have been at Sam Dorian then, actually. Well, whatever. But they said they had, the, I, I just, you know, will always remember that that was a, uh, a squad that was deemed too good to go down and went down. West Ham uh, in, what was it, about 2002, three. Um, went down, I think, with the most points that a Premier League team has, has ever been relegated on. It was like, might have even been 41 points. Again, you know, maybe could have researched that if this was a better quality podcast. But it was around then. It is, I know, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the, it is the record in a in a 38 game season. They went down with a squad that included uh, like Freddie Canute and Joe Cole and Paolo Di Canio, and Michael Carrick. It's an unbelievable squad. I think like uh, Thomas Repka was still there, David James in goal. That team got relegated, and I and I see a lot of Leicester in that because they're without being in the changing room. Clearly, you can't you can't say these things with absolute certainty, but they must because they're they're not they're unaccustomed to that level of struggle. They must you know, just human nature, spend most of the season kind of looking around at each other and thinking, all right, you know, we're going to be all right. At some point, the form's going to click and, you know, we'll get ourselves out of trouble. We'll hit some momentum. And then the weeks go by and you just don't. And even, you know, the manager gets fired and you get, you expect then a bit of momentum, a new manager bounce and you get a bit of a reaction. And then it just sort of, you go to Fulham for a crucial match uh, on the Monday of a, bank holiday weekend and you're three nil down after about 20 minutes and they, they ended up losing that game I think it was five three in the end but the thing that I would be concerned about if I was a Leicester City fan and I you know I went to uni in Leicester and I, I, I loved the way that they were their success story so I've, I've got a little soft spot for them and I don't want them to go down but the thing that would really worry me is that they were they were three nil down at half time in a crucial match away at Fulham so they, then they you know they go in and you'd expect them to have some pretty, shall we say, robust and honest conversations with um, with with each other during halftime. So your expectation would be, as a fan, even if they don't um, get it back to three all or rescue anything from the match, you want to see a, a reaction that, like they're they're you know so appalled at their own 
um, shortcomings in the first half and the pathetic performance that they're going to come. And they they conceded the fourth literally about a minute and a half into the into the second half. And that to me shows that there's there's a real problem there with the character and the spirit in that in that squad. So they are in massive massive danger of going down. Um, and that would be relatively remarkable that you know getting relegated. Uh, seven years after winning the title. But I suppose it's not unprecedented because I think Blackburn went down in around 98, 99, that sort of time. And they they were league champions in 1995. So it can happen. And I suppose it would only happen to a club that by winning the league in, in the first place, it was so kind of above expectation that unfortunately, because football really does seem to be kind of this way that every club seems to have a sort of a natural setting. And even though you can you can exceed it for a while, eventually you just get sort of sucked down back to it. Unless you're probably like Manchester City or Newcastle and you get taken over by a nation state and a limitless pot of money, because that's probably it's pretty unlikely to happen to either of those two. But that you know, not most clubs can't have that. So they run on, you know, normal business terms and yeah, Leicester are in big trouble because then on that same day, Nottingham Forest went and got a, a really important win. So you look at it. I mean, my club Liverpool are playing Leicester this weekend on Monday night, and obviously I want Liverpool to win because you know we're still an outside chance of getting in the in the top four. So you know, might as well keep going for that. But you know, that would leave Leicester. You know, if they were to lose that, two games to go, and in in really in the shit. So yeah, the prospects of. Um, you know, the, probably the most popular uh, from a neutral perspective, you know, I, unless you're a Derby or not in a Forest fan, I think everybody enjoyed what Leicester winning the league in, in 2016. Pretty much everything about it, including who they were managed by and, uh, you know, the backstory, of a lot of the players, they had a lot of like kind of journeymen who sort of ended up at Leicester towards the end of often quite unremarkable careers. And they just found something like, together like they just found a, a spirit and a way of playing and uh uh there were a lot of like really sort of you know likable fellas in that I've always had a lot of respect for Mark Albrighton a totally unremarkable footballer in so many ways and like but just like a villain like youth product who'd sort of you know been plugging away at his boyhood club for a number of years and then was just like surplus to requirements ends up at Leicester and then like a fundamental part of the team that wins the league and I, I love Football these days doesn't often have many stories like that, but I just think that's absolutely beautiful. Sort of thing that happened in the days of Brian Clough's Forest. You know, he would just see something in a player who's, you know, been relatively unremarkable, bit of a journeyman somewhere else, and just think, no, I know what he could do for this team at this particular time, how he would fit in and stuff like that. Um, I know that contrarians will, will point to the fact that Jamie Vardy was a key part of that team and he is objectively a bit of an arsehole um but uh which he is um but you know but there's arseholes in every team um so <laughs> I, i'd say that that is a small blot on on how most people feel about leicester in 2016 but yeah they're um they're in big 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 trouble uh sam allardyce didn't manage to win despite being the best manager in the world um <laughs> Didn't manage to win his first and so far only match in charge of Leeds. But they are, I believe they're playing Newcastle this weekend. So obviously, you know, as I've just said, Liverpool have still got an outside chance of finishing in the top four. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to hunt down either Newcastle or uh, that lot from Old Trafford. 
it's I'd say it's probably more likely to be Newcastle just based on you know they're they're no worse than uh, than that lot from Old Trafford, but just their, their relative lack of experience at sort of getting over the line might make them the one that's more likely to slip up. I don't know, but anyway, so yeah, Leeds Leeds are probably going to have to win that game. Which is good from Liverpool's perspective because you want Newcastle to have as tougher matches as possible. Leeds are, Leeds are, you know, going to have to win that. I think they're then playing West Ham as well, which uh, would be absolutely brilliant because obviously Sam Allardyce used to manage West Ham and he'd love that. And then your lot, Tottenham. So you know, it could come down to Tottenham. Who knows what they're going to be playing? I think they're pretty unlikely to get top four now. So it could be a case that that last game of the season is a. Uh, shootout between one team that wants to stay in the Premier League and another one that is desperate to qualify for the uh, Europa Conference League. So uh, I'm sure that would have you on the edge of your seat, wouldn't it, Matt? Yeah, yeah, no, that one's earmarked. Could you deal with that tension? I think I could. I think I can. Could I mean, imagine managing to um, qualify for the Europa Conference League two out of three seasons. That would be (laughs) remarkable, you know? Yeah, yeah. People from all over Europe would be uh, sort of their ears would prick up, wouldn't they? <laughs> but yeah, I mean Sam Allardyce, he has brought an interest into that reg- relegation battle. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. He's such a character, and and the character. fact they're playing West Ham is yeah. uh, is great. I thought, well, yeah, because I... he's had so many clubs. Newcastle's another one of his former clubs oh, as well right. that he was suitably bitter about, sort of being binned off by. Because he never takes his sackings particularly well. Because you know, as we've identified, he's not a man who lacks self confidence. So he, it's kind of it's rare. I can't remember him ever sort of looking back on his um, dismissal from a club and saying, "Oh yeah, fair play." I'd sort of run out of steam there. It was always it's always like the club made a big error in getting rid of someone as great as me. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, we'll see. It, but it, but it, but it is, it is, it is absolutely captivating. On the subject of the Conference League, by the way, I, you know, I must stress, I'm, I'm sort of um, teasing you a little bit because Tottenham is a club who would expect, um, not unreasonably, to be maybe doing a little bit better and have a higher um, ambition than you know seventh place in Conference League qualification. Uh, you know, they would, you know, they were in the Champions League this year. They were in the final a few years ago. They would expect to be pushing for Champions League football again. Maybe they will, but I'd say it's relatively unlikely now. Um, but I do think that the Conference League is actually a really good competition. I, I genuinely do. And the reason I like it is because, and I, I know that this is at risk, particularly as a Liverpool fan, of sounding sort of you know condescending or patronising, but it, it really isn't meant to be. I think that playing European football, regular European football, really can kind of transform your fortunes as a club, your outlook as a club, and also the, the experience, as I try to with so many of the ways of analysing football, the, the outlook of the fans and the experience of the fans. And if you support a kind of mid-ranking Premier League club who rarely, if ever, qualifies for Europe and you hit seventh spot and you, as a result, you get to play, you know, away matches all over the continent. And then because you're coming up against you know, teams who had a similar-ish finish in their respective European leagues, they're they're winnable matches. And at the end of it, you get, I mean, so West Ham are a perfect example of that. They haven't won a single trophy since the FA Cup in 1980. They're a club who, in their history, have never won the the league title. They did win the Cup Winners' Cup. It was in 1960. 
five, I think it was. Yeah. So they won the cup in 64. So they won the cup in 65. So, you know, but, but trophies, they're not exactly uh, drowning in trophies over the history. And they're not, they're not a club who expect to win trophies. You know, their expectation is they're quite sort of happy to be a, I think they would, they would expect to have a better Premier League season than they have this year where they're, they're now, you know, going to survive. But the fact that they were still in the mix until recently would be disappointing because recent in the last few years, they've sort of been fifth and sixth place finishes, I think. But, um, but you know, that they've, they've got the first leg of a semi-final tonight against AZ Elba, a uh, Dutch team who uh, interestingly are now, the latest club in Europe to um, be influenced by the moneyball famed American baseball uh, re- revolutionary coach, Billy Bean um, played, I think by Brad Pitt, was it in the, um, in, the yeah. in the film? Um, yeah. Uh, and I was reading a thing earlier actually about AZ Alkmaar have got their, their uh, annual income uh, as a result of sort of match, all their revenue is is something like eighteen million, and West Ham's is one hundred and twenty-two million or something. So, but you know, the fact is that they've got a very good chance of beating West Ham over two legs. But if West Ham, you know, get to the final, then that's a massive deal for them. So I think that there's a there is a and also <clears throat> in the same way that if you win the Europa League, uh, you qualify for the Champions League the following season, even if your league position didn't warrant that. So that's your reward for kind of winning it. Same as the Conference League. So West Ham clearly aren't going to qualify for Europe through league placements this year. But if they manage to win that Conference League and they'd have a tough final against possibly, you know, Fiorentina, who, you know, aren't they're not like Fiorentina in the Batistuta days, but they're, you know, they're an Italian side, so they're going to be decent and probably a similar level to West Ham in terms of, um, you know, within that their own domestic pyramid. Um That'll be, you know, that they then have the opportunity to then get into the Europa League the following season, which you'd normally have to finish sort of fifth or sixth in the league. And that's another great thing for the fans to look forward to next season. And it's that would be a third consecutive season of European football. So I think there's a, there's a massive difference between, you know, some arrogant prick like me who supports Liverpool and would see finishing in the Conference League as, oh, what a fucking nightmare. You know, I'm used to bloody Champions League finals and stuff um, and being a right spoiled prick about it. But actually, you know, the the opportunity to have like a a European campaign is really exciting for most people. So I think if if Brighton, for example, were to finish in that position this year and have a Conference League campaign, that'd be amazing for them. Tottenham, who were in the Champions League final a few years back and are used to they've got used to the sort of you know the finer things in life, would would similarly to, to Liverpool see it as a bit of a disappointment and probably a drag the following season. So there is, you know, a big um a big difference there. But again, something to be interested in towards the end of this uh, this fascinating season. And one last thing before we finish is that it is worth commenting on the Two, I thought two really excellent Champions League semi-final first legs uh, over the last couple of days. That Real Madrid-Man City match really could go either way. I thought City were really impressive uh, overall and thoroughly deserved a draw. But Real Madrid are so dangerous. You know, you'd look at a normal time, you'd say you, City have got the home leg second. It's a one-all draw. They're going to, you know, they're in the old days, they would have had an away goal. Obviously, that... Um, isn't the case anymore. Um, but Real Madrid, you just always think, fucking hell, they're going to pull something out of the bag. I mean, didn't they score like two goals in the last, in injury time last year when it looked like they were completely dead and buried um, against uh, against the same opponents? And then the Milan derby in the other one, 
I thought Inter Milan were absolutely brilliant. All the hype beforehand was about, you know, AC Milan, the the, the second most successful team in the European Cup slash Champions League with seven wins and how this they were back to their kind of natural level. And it was obviously their home game. And there's a lot of hyperbole about um, AC Milan. But Inter were, they've had a weird domestic season. I think they've lost like 10 or 11 matches. Um, but they're still kind of around that top four. But they really showed some quality. And it was nice to see. <laughs> it's so Italian. So like... Um, um, Typical of Italian football that the, the the key strikers on either side were like thirty seven and thirty eight year olds, Enjeco uh, <laughs> and Olivier Giroud, or thirty six and thirty seven in that in that ballpark. Like Italy has always been a, a domestic league. They're sort of you know the culture around their football that values experience and finds a way to prolong careers of veteran players and and to keep them at sort of peak performance. And some people would disparagingly say, ah, oh, it's because they play a slower pace. But I, I don't think that at all. I think they're, they're really sharp tactically and they just find a way of utilising, best utilising and using the experience and tactical nous of players who have kind of been there, seen it and done it and can br- have a cool head in a, in a um, you know, a high pressure environment. So, uh, yeah, excellent. I do think whoever wins that Milan semi-final though is just, you know, going to lose the final to whoever wins City or um, or Real Madrid. But yeah, that's it. That's enough of my uh, rambling observations. Uh, unless you've got anything to add, Matthew? No, not today. Not today <laughs> and not ever. So on that that bombshell, and that really is a bombshell, who'd have thought that Matt would have nothing more to add? Uh, that's it for another week. Um, we're, we are continuing to produce uh, these podcasts on a weekly basis, just like we promised uh, so we make a promise and, and by fuck do we deliver so I hope you enjoyed it see you next week for another episode of Football Unfocused Football Unfocused